you would uh, take your Bibles, please turn to Second Kings chapter 18. Um, we, I'm grateful and thankful that you chose to be with us this morning on this Friday, this Lord's Day, here in the UAE. We have just finished a series from First John, and I was planning to start Second John this morning, but I just felt no liberty to do that. I had even prepared the, the sermon, and I just felt the Lord wanted me to speak one more message on the, the subject of idolatry. So the last verse in 1 John chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle John said, To us, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I just felt impressed by the Lord that we needed to uh, meditate on that, that thought just one more time before we, we went into Second uh, John. So we're looking at 2 Kings 18, the, the story of Hezekiah this morning. But if you remember last week, I mentioned A.W. Tozer. I quoted um, him, and he said, The essence of idolatry is the entertainment of thoughts about God that are unworthy of him. And I felt it necessary this morning that we, that we look a little more closely at, at that subject, a little bit more closely at this temptation Every single one of us has to make idols in our hearts, idols and entertain thoughts that are, that are not honoring to God and thoughts that are unworthy of, of God. Um, idolatry in its larger meaning is properly understood as anything that substitutes the creator with created things. And people may worship nature, they may worship money, they may worship power. Um, they may worship people, um, including our families, and instead of the God who created all of these things. So my goal this, this morning is to help us to identify any of these idols in our hearts that need to be destroyed um, in our spiritual walk with the Lord. As we will soon see, there are often good things that become bad things because of a wrong emphasis, because we have entertained them too much. Um, Phil Riken, uh, a Bible commentator and, and pastor, he had this to say about idolatry. A wonderful quote. He said, Because man is spiritually dead, unregenerate individuals are unable to recognize or appreciate or differentiate between the Creator and that which He created. As a result, many wind up worshiping the material universe because it is what they can see and experience with their senses. And the innate human need for sensory confirmation is the major reason why pantheism in one form or another is at the heart of all pagan religions. So think about that. I'll put that quote out this week on on Facebook as well. But an illustration of this can be seen whenever toddlers are given a new toy. Very often they will wind up playing with the, the box instead of the toy that um, was, was, rep, was used, was inside the box. Um, and the reason is, is probably they, they like the, the size of it, they, they like the, um, the, the function of it, they can, they can hide in it or they can um, change it and turn it into a, into a tent or something. Um, maybe it makes pleasing noises uh, when you bash on it. And I think that is... Probably like all of us, we, we are more interested in, in the box and not in, not in the, the person who has given us the box 
or the gift itself. It's our sinful nature to make idols. It's our sinful nature to make idols, to worship the created thing rather than the creator. And this morning we're going to look at Second Kings. If you turn there with me, chapter 18, we're going to study the story of Hezekiah who destroyed the idols that were keeping the Israelites from honoring God, that were keeping them from worshiping God as they should have, from giving glory to God as they should have. And we will study that together this morning. Second Kings chapter 18, verse 1. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign. He reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. Verse 4, he removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And the Lord was with him wherever he went out. He prospered. Wherever he went out, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, with, with busy hearts and, and heavy hearts. We pray, Father, that you would please quieten our, our souls this morning and that you would help us, Lord, to, to focus on you and your word today. Lord, we pray for your help as we study the subject of idolatry. You have told us from your word that we need to keep ourselves from idols. We need to guard ourselves from idols. So help us understand, Lord, what idols are this morning as we study your word. Help us to understand how dangerous idols are, how destructive they are, and how they will totally devour us unless we identify them and unless we deal with them. So we pray for wisdom this morning. We pray that you would minister to our souls, that we may give you the glory from our, from our lives. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me give you a little background. We've jumped straight into chapter 18 from 2 Kings, so we don't have much of a, of a background here. Hezekiah, we see from the passage, was just 25 years old when he inherited the royal crown from his father Ahaz. But yet, at this young age, he grabbed the, the nation's attention by cleaning things up externally with the goal of cleaning things up internally for the glory of God. Hezekiah was a remarkable person, and he's worth studying this morning. He was the king of Judah. He was a faithful servant of God. And even though he lived amongst an evil world at that time, um, the Lord, he is commended and he is praised because he was a man who was 
in the eyes of the Lord, right and righteous. And the situation in, in, in Israel at this time was such that the Israelites as a whole had, had rejected God, had re- rejected the true and living God in order to worship idols. The pagan world had influenced them, and they had been building shrines and temples to, to worship God. The kings of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. If you read 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you will see that repeatedly mentioned. They did evil in the sight of the Lord. And now they were engaging in, in worshiping idols. And they were committing all kinds of immoralities that, that go with worshiping idols. And of course, that happened when they turned their back on the true and living God. This was a, a consequence of their of their forsaking the true God. And they had forsaken his commandments. And they were involved in all types of of wickedness. And Hezekiah knew that Judah was in deep spiritual trouble because even though they claimed to worship the true God, they were worshiping him in, in a different way, in a way that God hadn't prescribed in his word. They had taken parts of the pagan religions around them and introduced them into the temple and were worshiping God the way God didn't want to be worshipped. Hezekiah had inherited this mess from his ungodly father, who was King Ahaz. Ahaz was one of the most evil kings that Judah ever had. And scripture tells us that because of Ahaz's evilness, God delivered Judah into the hands of their enemies. So there was judgment here. There was judgment upon the people of God because of the bad, wicked spiritual leadership in the country at the time and because of their their own choice to worship idols. But despite these gloomy circumstances that Hezekiah faced, he was intent, he was determined on doing the hard thing. He knew that the changes he, he wanted to make would put him at odds with, with much of um, the religious people at that time. He was putting himself in danger. He was putting himself against the, the whole of the, the Jewish population, or most of them. But nevertheless, he did this, and he was determined to honor the Lord, and the Lord commended him for it. The Bible itself testifies to his uniqueness. Look at verse 3 when it says, He did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. And then look again in verse 5. So that after him was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. So Hezekiah is a man worth emulating. Hezekiah is is someone that we can learn from, especially when it comes to the issue of idolatry. And Hezekiah wasn't perfect. If you read the rest of his story, he had shortfalls. He definitely had blind blind spots. But he was a man who who wanted to honor the Lord with with his life, and he wanted to do it according to God's prescription. And I want to look at three steps this morning, how we can overcome idolatry. And that's the the title of my sermon this morning, Three Steps to Overcome Idols. Well, the first step is there in verse 4. Look at verse 4. It says, 
He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah. And he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. So the first point is simply look there. At the beginning of verse 4, he removed. It tells us that he removed the high places. Well, the term high places refers to the altars that were constructed uh, on, on the hilltops. In India, we didn't understand that until, we, until we, we saw that for ourselves. At every high point, there was a shrine that was built to some idol, and probably similar to this. These were places that were unauthorized places of worship. They weren't supposed to be worshiping there. They were supposed to be worshiping in the temple in Jerusalem. God had ordained that site for the place of worship of his people. But the high places that are mentioned here served as illegitimate substitutes for the ordained place of worship. And according to Deuteronomy chapter 33, Israel was meant to tread down these high places. They were to destroy them. They weren't to, to worship in these, in, these, in these shrines, in these temples. And we see that is exactly what Hezekiah did. We see there that he broke down the, the sacred pillars, it says in verse 4. Or if you have a King James, it says the sacred images. And these may well have been idolatrous phallic symbols that were, were built on these, on these sites. But it is a reference one way or another to idolatry, which, which God would not tolerate. We've studied the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20, and we saw that there is one God, and that God is a, a jealous God, and He would not tolerate the worship of anybody else. And since God would not tolerate it, Neither would Hezekiah. Neither would Hezekiah. And he proceeded to, to cut down these high places. It tells us also there in verse 4 that he cut down the Asherah. The King James says the, the wooden groves. Now, Asherah was a, a Syrian goddess. And she was associated um, with fertility. And there's many goddesses of, of fertility and they would carve this image of her into the, the trunk of a tree. And they would worship this, this image in the trunk of the tree. And we see what Hezekiah did. He, he cut these down. He cut all of these images down. In summary, in short, Hezekiah destroyed those things which were clearly evil. Those things that were visibly wicked. They were defiantly blasphemous. Even satanic. And here they were amongst the, the children of God. Of course, we can imagine there must have been many who were, who were angry at what Hezekiah had done. They had devoted themselves to these, to these idols. They had invested themselves in these idols. They had spent money making and building these idols. And of course, there was this emotional attachment to them. But Hezekiah, regardless of these people's feelings, did what needed to be done. But I am sure that there were Jews at this point who were delighted at what Hezekiah was doing. I'm sure there, were, there was a remnant who were happy to see the removal of this open idolatry in 
the land that God had given his children. And there are always those who are glad when, when leadership acts in accordance with God's clearly revealed will. But Hezekiah was not about to, to stop there, despite what people thought of him. He was not content to reform just the outwardly sinful things that people could see. He wasn't just intent on making a bunch of Pharisees externally. He was more radical than that. And what he did next really defied all expectations. Having removed these openly idolatrous images, Scripture tells us in verse 4, look there, Hezekiah broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Now this was a massive act of courage on the part of Hezekiah. And the reason why is because he had destroyed one of the most valuable and most historic relics in the whole kingdom of Israel. Let me help you understand this picture a little bit. Please turn with me to to Numbers chapter 21, where we first hear about this relic in Numbers chapter 21. Starting in in verse 4, we see the bronze serpent. And the scriptures tell us, From Mount Hor they set out, Numbers 21 verse 4, From Mount Hor they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Complaining. Complaining Israelites. For there is no food and no water. That was a lie. And we loathe this worthless food. This was manna from heaven. This was angel food. They loathed it. Look what happens in verse 6. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people. So that many people of Israel died. Judgment. Verse 7. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. Yes, they realized they had sinned. They were being killed. The snakes were, were in their tents. The snakes were in their shoes. The snakes were, were in, their, um, in their mattresses. Wherever they, there were snakes. Killing them. Not just, not just disturbing them, but, but killing them. And the people come to Moses and say, We have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would look at the bronze serpent and live. Now notice in verse 8, the Lord didn't take away these, 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 these snakes. The Lord allowed them to stay there. He didn't answer their prayer according to their desire. He answered their prayer according to His will. He gave them a solution so that they wouldn't die. He told them to go build a bronze serpent. Now this wasn't idolatry. The Lord wasn't encouraging idolatry here. He was testing them. Who are you going to obey? I've told you to obey me and you've rejected me. 
Are you going to listen to my word? Are you going to obey what I tell you to do? If the Lord told him to jump 10 times in the air and turn around 50 times and do 20 push-ups, that's what they would have had to have done in order to be saved. If the Lord told them all to wear pink shirts, that's what they needed to have done. But the Lord told him to build a bronze serpent. Now this serpent, this image must have been, must have been disgusting to them. I'm sure that this wasn't something which they, they enjoyed to look at. I mean, this image reminded them of the death, reminded them of the, their judgment. I'm sure that some of their children had died. A lot of their children had died. A lot of their loved ones had died. And now they had to build the serpent on a, on a pole. But the point was they needed to trust him. They needed to trust God. They needed to look at this, this lifeless serpent on the pole. And one commentator says, What brought these men back to life was the fact that they returned to submission to the government of God. It wasn't this this image, it wasn't this relic that brought them back to life. It was their submission to God that brought them back to life. But many centuries later, Jesus would use this account as an illustration of his own crucifix in in John chapter 3. He would point people to this event here in, in Numbers 21. How people had to put their faith in what God has said and not faith in themselves. I'm sure there were people here who tried to cure themselves from the poison that was in their, in their system. I'm sure people went to doctors. I'm sure people tried to make their own home remedies. I'm sure people must have cut themselves and tried to suck out the poison. But that wasn't a remedy God had given to them. God had told them, look at the serpent and you will be healed. And that's what Jesus says in John chapter 3. Look to me. Look to me and you will be healed from the sin and the poison that is in your body that is killing you. For all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And just as the lifeless serpent on the pole was God's instrument to rescue the Israelites, so the lifeless son of God on the cross was God's means to deliver the world from sin. The bronze serpent was God's means to to God's end. And clearly there was no problem with the serpent himself. The problem was with the children of those delivered. They had substituted the symbol as their savior. So what has happened now from Numbers all the way through to Second Kings, this bronze serpent has become a bit of a, a relic. And people are honoring it. And people are giving it the best place. And people are caring for it. And people are worshipping it. They are worshipping this bronze serpent, which they should not have. They are worshipping an idol. Instead of worshipping the the creator, they are worshipping something that is created. So now they are substituting the worship of God. They were trusting the means of their deliverance rather than the one who ordained the means. Something that was good had become an idol. Something that was good that God had given to them for the healing had become an idol. All of us have these bronze serpents in our lives. All of us have substituted Something that was good 
And now I turned it into something bad. There are many things that we could look at and, and ask, has the good become a curse? And for many, you know, good, God's gift of family has become an idol. Now there's nothing wrong with family. Nothing wrong with loving and, and giving in the family. But if family becomes a substitute for God, then we have crossed that line of idolatry. What about the idol of education? Education is good. It's a good thing. I'm not saying don't be educated. But when it takes first place, it becomes an idol. Think about the message we give to our children when we make education more important than God. What message do we give to our children when we tell them it's okay to, to stay at home on a, on a Friday, spend their time studying? What message are you, are you communicating to your children? That their education is more important than God? For many, idolatry is, is seen in, in the physical, in our physical well-being, especially in our health. Again, there's, there's nothing wrong with these things. There's nothing wrong with being healthy. But some people give so much attention to their physical body that they give no attention to their devotion to God. They will rise up early hours of the morning to spend time on the track or at the gym. But they will do but will they do the same? Will they spend the same amount of time with God? Think about how sports and recreation and, and entertainment brings in this idolatry into our hearts. Think about how we communicate that to our children, how much we invest in entertainment and, and recreation and, and sport, and how much time we invest in God. Material things can become idols. Even good things, the good things that God gives us for our good can become idols. Now we could continue listing potential nehushtans with which we are familiar. What about your career? What about retirement? What about your relationships? You know, what about your image? What about your financial security? Now, these good things can be as idolatrous as the otherwise obviously idolatrous things. Now, remember, Hezekiah broke down those things which were visibly idolatrous, but he was more interested in the idolatry that was going on in the heart. And so is the Lord. You know, we Just because we don't worship an image, just because we haven't carved something with our hands and bow down to it, doesn't mean we don't have these idols in our hearts. These good things that God has given us can turn into idols. Whatever it is upon which we depend for meaning in life, or to which we look to find security and safety in life, takes first place. These are the essential ingredients of idolatry. Now how foolish to think that something that we have created will meet all of these needs. Think about that for a moment. Now how ridiculous to think that we can write our own religion and make our own gods. We are created beings. The point that the Bible makes over and over again is that 
You and I need a God that is greater than we are. A God who created everything. And Hezekiah realized that the people he was leading had lost track. They had lost focus of the true and living God. They had lost sight of reality and he committed himself to do something about this. He realized the problem and he realized what needed to be done. And there was only really one thing that Hezekiah could do. He needed to get rid of these idols. And so he broke in pieces this bronze serpent that Moses had made. Moses was a hero. But he broke this in pieces. It tells us, for until, until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. And when we lose sight of God's grace, then his gifts become more important than the giver. God had given them this bronze serpent as a gift to heal them. And now they were worshipping it. And we need to do what Hezekiah had done. We need to get our focus back on the giver. We need to get our focus back on the cross of Jesus Christ. One commentator, he said, Let the cross always be the treasure of your heart, your best and highest thought, and your passionate preoccupation. Is that true for you this morning? Is the cross of Christ your most passionate preoccupation? Look at a moment at the word Nehushtan. Well, the word literally means just brass. That's what it means. And certainly the people had been treating it more than just brass. They had been worshipping it. It was something precious to them. It had become a precious metal, not just brass. But Hezekiah had destroyed this in the sight and declared to them, It's just brass, folks. It's just brass. Nothing more. Nehushtan. And he took a radical step here. This action to destroy a once good thing that had become a stumbling block to the people of Israel. G. Campbell Morgan, he counsels regarding God's good gifts to us. He says, if any or all of these things are coming between your soul, may God himself break them in pieces. If there is anything that is coming between you and God, it needs to be broken in pieces. We need to have the courage to do this. It may not be easy. It may not be popular. But we need to do this. We should note that this would no doubt have been extremely unpopular to the people around Hezekiah at this time. I mean, consider this this image had been in Israel's collection for over 700 years. It was, it was a treasured relic. Tracing back to their most famous ancestor, Moses. And to destroy it, Hezekiah ran the risk of opposition. But he knew that half measures would not solve the problem. And half measures would not bring glory to God. And we need to have the same understanding. We need to have that same commitment If we are ever going to walk right with God. Husbands. Fathers. Are you willing to do the hard thing? 
Are you willing to do the hard thing in order to guard your own devotion? To guard your own heart? And protect your wife and to protect your children? So the first step to overcome idols is to get our focus back on the cross of Jesus Christ. The only way we can do that is to repent of our sins, to turn from them, to remove them like Hezekiah did, with the help of the Holy Spirit. My second point this morning is in verse 5. Hezekiah trusted. Hezekiah trusted. Now why was Hezekiah so passionate in his Reformation. Why was he willing without hesitation to do the hard thing? Well, the text tells us in, in verse 5. He trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. Now, this is not a small thing. This is not a small thing because remember, the Israelites were trusting in the created things. They had put their faith in the things that they had made. These were the things that were going to deliver them from their oppression. These were the things that were going to bring them joy. But Hezekiah trusted in the Lord God of Israel. He trusted in the Creator, not in the created things. He trusted in the Lord to be his protector and defender. He had no dependence on idols as as, as any means to an end. He trusted in the word of the Lord God, not in the Hushtan, not in traditions. His trust was in God. God gave him confidence. This gave him much confidence. And made him uncompromising in all of his actions. He was not anxious about about what people would think. He wasn't paralyzed by the the fear of man. No one was more aware than him of of the tone of the people at that time. How unreliable they were. And how the public could have reacted at that time. He was very aware of that. But because Hezekiah was deeply devoted to God, he was able to see that which others could not see. He did not trust in his own flesh. He did not trust in his own arm. He did not trust in his own expertise. He did not trust in his own experiences. He trusted in God, it says. The eternal God and the unchanging God. His faith was in him. Tim Keller, a Christian author and pastor, commented on this. He said, The Bible does not consider idolatry to be one sin among many, and a rare sin found only among private, primitive people. Rather, all our failures to trust God wholly or to live rightly are at root idolatry, something we make more important than God. There's always a reason for sin. And our sins are idolatrous desires. Our failures to trust God are at root idolatry. Who do you trust this morning? When you are depressed, who do you trust when 
When you are anxious, who do you trust when you are alone? Who do you trust when you are worried? Do you trust in your flesh? Do you trust in other people? Or do you trust in the Lord God Almighty? What idols are you trusting this morning? My third point, or the second step before that, the second step to overcoming idols is to trust the Lord and not to trust our own experiences and expertise. As Jeremiah said in chapter 17, verse 7, he said, Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will direct your paths. It leads to my third point. Do not depart. Hezekiah, he did not depart. Look at verse 6. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Hezekiah's religious faith was something more than just an intellectual understanding, an intellectual assent to, to certain general truths. This wasn't just academic. It tells us Hezekiah cleaved to God. He cleaved to God. And the word hold fast here is the word cleave in the, in the King James. This word cleave is, is used in Genesis chapter 2 verse 24 to describe the relationship of a, of a husband joined to his wife. It is also used in Deuteronomy chapter 10 verse 20 and, and, and chapter 11 to exhort believers to hold fast to God. To hold fast, to cleave to God. And it is used to speak of the way that Solomon clung to, to foreign women who were forbidden by God. It's how you cleave, isn't it? It's how you hold fast, isn't it? What are the things that you hold fast to? That's, that's, the, that's the problem. What is the, the object of your faith? The word is used again in, in Acts chapter 11 where where Barnabas, upon seeing the grace of God at work in the lives of the, the saints at the Antioch church, he exhorts them, he says to them, cleave unto the Lord. He was thankful to see the grace of God there. And all he said, keep doing what you're doing. Remain faithful, it says in the ESV. And the picture this word is painting is that of two pieces of wood that are, that are glued together. You have a veneer on a piece of wood and that glue that is, that is pressured together. Hold fast, cleave to the Lord. And the third step to overcoming idolatry is to make sure that you are glued to God. Make sure that you are devoted to God. If you do not remain faithful to God and to His Word, then you will never overcome Nehushtan. And the Lord needs to be your focus. There is no second place here. There is no competition here. The Lord will not tolerate any other idols. Notice the rest of the verse. Hezekiah kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. You cannot hold fast to the Lord without dwelling in His Word, without reading and obeying the Scriptures. 
You can't know God's will if you don't read the scriptures. You can't honor God if you don't know how to honor him. You can't cleave to him unless you read his word. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 tells us, All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If this is not your case, then your religion is just nominal, isn't it? Your religion is deceptive. If you don't enjoy reading the Bible, then you don't enjoy knowing about God. Your religion is just nominal. You come into church because it's the it's a cultural thing to do. You come into church because you want your needs met. You come into your church come into church to see what you can get out of God. Your religion is deceptive. If you are not following the scriptures, if you're not reading the scriptures, how much time do you spend in the scriptures? How much time do you spend playing TV games? How much time do you spend on YouTube? How much time do you spend reading the Word? Hezekiah kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. And then we see the results. The results are there in verse 7 and verse 8. What were the results? Our text clearly tells us, And the Lord was with him. Wherever he went, he prospered. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and would not serve him. He struck down the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory, from watchtower to fortified city. He was successful. Before, they were not. Remember, before, they were given into the the hands of the enemies. But now Hezekiah was successful in, in battle. He was prosperous, it says. He didn't submit anymore to the king of Assyria. He would not serve him. And sometimes obedience to God requires that we be willing to give up what may be God's good gifts to us. Consider Matthew 18, where we are commanded to confront others in sin. Matthew 18, verse 18 to 20, gives us four steps how we can do that. If we are committed to this, this there is a very real danger that we will lose some relationships. There's a very real danger that people will be offended. But God's good gifts, and we, we, maybe our concern is that God, God, these good gifts will be taken away from us, these, these relationships that we enjoy. I don't want to offend people. I just want to be their friend. I enjoy their, their friendship. I don't want to tell them about the sin that is in their lives. That's not what Hezekiah did. If we are more committed to the giver than we are to the gifts, we will take the risk out of love for our Lord because we love Him more. We cherish His holiness more. We cherish Him being glorified in our sinning friend more than we cherish our relationship with our friend. And this principle can be applied to whatever your specific nehushten might be. It's further said of Hezekiah in verse 7. Look there, he prospered wherever he went. The immediate context 
indicates prosperity in war. Because we're told he rebelled against the king of Assyria and he did not serve them. But nevertheless, it is this issue of prospering under God's hand that, that we want to focus on. You know, someone has said that success is knowing the will of God and doing it. I like that definition. I like the definition of prospering. Knowing the will of God and doing it. It was precisely because Hezekiah did what he knew to be the will of God that he prospered. He didn't compromise. He trusted that God would prosper him. He didn't trust in his own wisdom. And when it comes to our own obedience, we must trust God rather than our own means to prosper us. Lean not on our own understanding. Lean not on the things that we have built up. Lean not on the empires that we've created. Lean not on our bank account. Lean not on our retirement annuity. Trust in Him. Hezekiah further, we see in verse 8, enjoyed the power of God. It tells us he subdued the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territories from watchtower to fortified cities. Verse 9 to 12 gives us further evidence of how he enjoyed God's power in war against the Assyrians. Hezekiah was an effective leader. And God's people experienced wonderful victories because he would not sell out to the world. He would not compromise. Hezekiah pointed his people to the Creator and not to the created things of, of this world that really offer us nothing at the end of the day. Or maybe some temporary relief. But Christ is the sovereign God of all creation. He is the great I am. He is the mighty king. He is the only redeemer. And people must find salvation in him alone. Not in the things of this world. The author of Hebrews tells us in chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore we also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God." Ask yourself this morning as we draw this to a close. What in your life is a good thing which has become a bad thing? What in your life is a good thing that has become an idol? And we need to guard against the spirit of idolatry creeping into our, into our homes, into our, into our relationships, into our faith. As Apostle John's last words warned us, he said, keep yourselves from idols. We must not think that anything we can produce, even if it's a good thing, even if it's a job or an institution or an empire, don't think these things can produce spiritual security for us. They will not meet our spiritual needs. They will not see us through the difficult times of life. We need somehow... With God's grace, to repent of these sins. Do what is needed. 
Don't compromise. We need someone who is above us to deliver us from the troubles we find ourselves in. And that someone is Jesus Christ. We cannot save ourselves, folks. We have brought upon ourselves this corruption. We have brought upon ourselves this penalty of death. We have brought upon ourselves this curse. And we cannot do anything to deliver ourselves from it. It is the Lord alone who can deliver us. It is this way because He is God, and it must be this way so that He and He alone would receive all of the glory. Remember the words of John Piper, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in God this morning? Are there nehushtans in your life that need to be detected and destroyed? Let's pray together that this morning that the Lord would help you to do that. Let's go to God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for showing us from the life of Hezekiah how we need to identify idols and how we need to destroy them. We pray for your help to do that, Lord. We know we cannot do it in our own strength. We cannot do it in our own experience. We cannot do it with the methods and models that we may make up in our own minds. We can only do it through the help of the Spirit of God. So we pray for your grace this morning. Lord, I don't know what idols people are harboring in their lives, in their hearts this morning. But Lord, I know you have impressed upon me to to preach this message to those who are here this morning. And that's for a reason, Lord, so that we would be doers of your word, so that we would do what needs to be done, that we would not compromise, that we would identify the sin, that we would identify this idolatry, and that we would repent of it. So we pray for your grace this morning, Lord. Give us the grace we need to repent. Give us the faith we need to trust you. And we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Pray if there's someone in this room who's not saved this morning that is a slave to their nehushtens, Lord, that they would indeed call upon the name of the Lord and be saved this morning, that they would see their need for a Savior and that you would save them. So thank you, Lord, for your word. We pray that you would be glorified. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.